Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. All right. Welcome to episode number 25, and we'll start things off this week a little bit, a little bit differently. We have a, I think it's a pretty funny little video uh, shared with us by Sean Carpenter, and here we go. Yo, bro, you on woo-woo? You kidding me? Everybody's on woo-woo. Marketers are listening in the background. Everybody's on woo-woo. Woo-woo. Lock and load, people. We're going all <laughs> in on woo-woo. Oh, man. Okay? Mark, pop us up a profile page. Getting Call the me. whole team Susie, on board. Writing some posts. Writing. Great. This was Pokemon Go. Upload some videos. Uploading. I want sponsored woos. I want targeted woos. We want to be all up in your woo-woo feet. <laughs> register a woo-woo handle. Don't you awesome. know the uh, Wu-Tang Clan? Let's get oh, that man. We need an ethnically ambiguous woo-woo mascot. We're cashing in the Q4 budget, people. And we're buying some followers. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> nice. Woo. Nice. Nothing about data yet. Dude. Are you still on woo-woo? Nah, man. My mom's on woo-woo. My mom's on (laughs) woo-woo. The dudes are like hipster, gangster type of looking dudes. It's funny. Yeah. That is. Yeah. And then you got the straight lace marketers. Yeah. In the background. We have to be Uh, on it. It's so true, right? That falling into the hype. It does happen way too much. That's why the last piece of this is in, you know, our recommended budget, we always put a uh, innovation fund of one to two percent, depending on how much they have to spend. It's because of personalities like this that we have to protect them from. You want to experiment with some woo woo? Fine, you got one percent, but you're not going to cash in your Q4 budget to oh, buy man. followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is good. You need that innovation for sure. All right, let's shift to story time. Thanks again, Sean. The there's a whole slew of great. Um, those are all put on by Adobe. Just search Adobe Marketing Funny Clips in YouTube. You'll spend a good 20 minutes finding great stuff. We'll, I'll do we'll that. tease a few more over the over the next coming weeks, too. Nice. And that that the video really perfectly sets up my uh, story this week, which I guess is it's a bunch of stories aggregated to together into one little thing for us marketers that are the ones that are always doing the execution and building the campaigns. Um but I'd say leave time for testing and innovation. Yeah, I think it's quick and, and it's common for us to like, oh, shoot, I have five campaigns to build this week or this month or X, Y, Z, all these different projects you have to do. And you feel like you're just going through a punch list of knocking them out. And then a quarter goes by and you're like, oh, I didn't really learn anything new. I didn't test anything new. But looking back, at least here at DYC, like a lot has happened in the past year with different algorithm changes with Facebook, especially, but even Google AdWords. And we would have, uh, at least I would have felt like I would have been behind if I didn't do testing, you know, constantly. There's so many new things out there. And if you don't test them, you don't know if they work or not. And you just hear about them like, oh, okay, maybe they work, maybe they don't. You read the headlines, but you don't actually know for yourself and that you, there's a lot to gain. So somehow leave time to test and tinker with AdWords. In Facebook. Yeah. Make a schedule around your schedule, yeah. just like we talked about website idea. Fridays. <clears throat> pick a pick a, it doesn't even have to be minutes. every week yeah. necessarily. It could be, you know, the second Tuesday of every month is my testing day. Just something that's a dedicated time period. Um 
where you're where you're trying stuff out because I think it's partly about getting better results, of course. Yes. Also, there's just something if you're if you're a true blooded marketer, there's something that is exhilarating tying into that video of doing something new and and experimenting mm-hmm. too. Yeah, it keeps you motivated. Uh, it's exciting. It's fun. At least I I think it is. If, if you don't, then we need to talk about some things here. But yeah, it should be. <laughs> It should be you as in the listener if you're not excited for for all of these fun little nerdy things. Um, yeah. I think it's I think it's cool. It's it's what keeps me going. Like, okay, can we get better results? But also, like, oh, this is supposed to work like this. Sure enough, Facebook rep, you're trying to sell us again <laughs> versus yep. what the study actually says and what is put out there. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, right on the nerd nerd train. My story time. You know, we've had. Um, how do I want to introduce this the right way? We, we have had a lot of folks whose websites have gone in and out, um, in terms of uptime. So yeah. every you know, site does that. Amazon. Every site like, does that. You know, 99% uptime is normal, but that 1%, it never fails that you're not the one who knows about it. Your mm-hmm. CEO or division president, someone is bringing it to your attention. You know, Hey, did you know the site's down, uh, right now? Yep. And We've been getting clues on this for a long time from AdWords, uh, now called Google Ads, <laughs> um, where they just say, hey, your, your ad isn't working anymore because the destination you're trying to get to stopped working. Sometimes that's just because the page mm-hmm. went away, but there have been several times uh, fairly recently where on a Saturday morning, it's just because the site is down and no one, no one knew about it until we sent out the email to, to our client and said, hey, we're mm-hmm. getting this alert. Let them know. There's a free tool called Uptime Robot, U-P-T-I-M-E, robot.com. It's uh, completely free, I think, for like up to 10 domains per account or something. But it routinely pings your website, and it doesn't use JavaScript uh, or will not trigger any JavaScript instances of Google Analytics. So you can put in, there's an IP filter that you can add if you're concerned about that, but it shouldn't hit your analytics numbers but it just regularly pings. And then if your site is down for any reason, it just shoots you a quick email and says, hey, your site is down. And when it comes back up, so even if this happens when you're sleeping, you know, from one in the morning until three in the morning and no one really cares, at least when you wake up in the morning, you will know that it happened and be able to check in on, make sure, you know, was that just regularly scheduled maintenance? Was something going on? But you just don't want to be caught off guard with that singular most important thing uh, affecting your 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 results from yeah. a marketing perspective today, and Facebook is usually super yeah. super super slow to give any updates as well. So yes, I, and AdWords doesn't crawl the ads all the time to do the uh-huh. like hey like say the site went down at four fifteen p.m. It won't be like site goes down and then four twenty five they won't. It might be like the next day or even a week later, yes. depending on like right. how often the ad is clicked and whatnot. And Facebook almost, I've, I think I've seen it like twice where they're like destination or final URL is not working. But other than that, like yep. they don't say anything. So yeah, I like this tool. I might need it for myself just to have some peace of mind sometimes. Like, Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I put it on all the, do you convert um, sites and the summit site and you know, yeah, just it, when the summit site was down for a two minute period last Thursday, I mean, it was only for two minutes and it was while I was sleeping, so no big deal. But um, it's not a site that I go to regularly since we're sold out and it can monitor it without me having to worry about yep. it. So very cool. And make your life a little bit easier. Right. Take it off your plate. On to some news. So um, Google Analytics cross-device reporting. Now, this was originally posted 
back July 11th, I think, mm-hmm. is that when it came out? Early July. But we haven't talked about it much because it's it's still uh, not available for everybody yet. Um, okay. Before we dive into that, though, Andrew, just share with everyone, what is cross-device reporting? What does that that means so you have mobile, tablet, and desktop as far as the available devices. If they went to a Facebook ad on their mobile and then they went to your their your website on their desktop, that'd be cross device. And so it's just the reporting around around that multiple interactions, which I think I don't say it's everybody, but it oh, it's a lot of people that do that type of activities. So yeah, the, the, the majority of individuals have more than one device that they're using regularly. Yep. Cross-device reporting has been available on some platforms, but in analytics, which is the one place that you should be, you know, I, I love having good data somewhere else, but if it doesn't flow through to analytics, it makes me sad. Yeah. I, I cry a tear. Cry. <laughs> so now you will start to be able to see, in essence, um, if you're familiar with analytics, you'll see those little colored circles of overlaying um, channels and how traffic's getting to your site. And you'll start to see something very similar like that, where you it will show you that you know 80% of the people um, coming from your site are using their mobile device. And then there's the other 10% on desktop. And what is the overlap between those two? Yep. And the example on the, uh, on the news article that we linked in the show notes um, actually, no, it's not in, the, in this article. It's in another one that I will try to find and add into. Let's see. said, hey, you might be um, considering lowering your mobile um, AdWords targeting because not as many people are converting. And so you might be tempted to say, well, we'll just we'll lower our budget on, ad, on AdWords on mobile and shift it over to desktop. But this report would let you see, oh, but it's actually the same people. It's just they're coming over and converting on desktop, but desktop in terms of the first time I capture them is more expensive. Mm -hmm. So the reality, if you're following me here, is you'd actually want to continue to invest in mobile, even though without cross-device reporting, you wouldn't see that it's actually responsible. And maybe even more as far as you could favor mobile mobile traffic versus desktop, if it makes sense. Sometimes it's not. So. Now that we've talked about what it is, um, yeah, we'll add this second article here. It shows you how to turn it on as well. And um, I'll post a screenshot uh, in the Market Proof Marketing Group of what this notification looks like. But you have to go into the admin to turn it on, but it's not available for everyone yet. Our top um, three or four largest uh, home builder partners in terms of budget and, um, and overall reach and divisions, um, it started to appear. and so. I think it's just working its way down to some of the smaller accounts still at this point, but it is starting to show up in the wild. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout. And our next one, I always love these, is a, uh, what was that, August 1st? That was yesterday. A major, yeah. major, a core, I think they use major and core uh, Google algorithm update. Yeah. I wish they'd get more details on this, but obviously they don't. As far as like, we changed this exact thing. Um, I'd yeah. love to know the nerdy details, and- but there's really nothing to do to change on it from what I understand. Exactly. So oftentimes, and this is just good to know about how Google operates. Obviously, they don't want people just to to reverse engineer the algorithm and no single person knows exactly how the algorithm works anymore. It's that complex. And so they, but they don't give you the details of exactly what changed often because they don't want you to reverse engineer it. However, Google's broad policy is that if it's something that we think, you know, 
we want you to have better behavior and how you're designing the site. So you should consider this when we do an update. We'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. In this case, this update, what they're saying is there is literally no single thing that you could do to adjust it. So we're not going to tell you the details because this is all just based around getting um, a better user experience, giving them a higher quality experience on the platform. And it's either so complex or so simple. I have one small theory um, in terms of the simple that there's nothing that you could change on your own site to impact, you know, sorry, but if your site took a little hit, it's going to take a hit. There's really nothing you can do other than they say, focus on better quality content. That's just the thing that they say over and over Mm -hmm. again is, which is what I said in the professional builder article a couple months ago, just stop worrying about the algorithms, do the right things for the users first uh, for your, for your actual customers and prospects. And then, yeah. So the, the quote from Danny Sullivan, who's an employee at Google said, this one wasn't fixing anything that's quote unquote broken. It's just making it better. So nice. you can't, you can't fix anything. Is he the new Matt cuts? If you remember Matt cuts back in the day, who was like the Google web spam team leader. I'm going way back. Cause I think he left Google. Like, yeah. Way back um, when. It, I don't know if Danny Sullivan Sullivan's like the, uh, I need to follow all the SEO. Danny Sullivan Java is, according to his Twitter profile, he is the search liaison. Oh, there we go. Yes. Yes, he is. And yes. I need to get back in that. Cool. So in other words, quality content wins always. There needs to be a cool yep. phrase with that because that, yeah, no matter what. You can and it's going to continue to because of the way that people are applying AI. Mm-hmm. And so... AI is being more and more applied to everything in digital marketing to be outcome focused. So tell us what you want to have happen. And then the AI is going to analyze the data and prioritize that outcome occurring. In Google's case, it's going to continue to focus on quality content and user experience because that's what it's training the AI to do is say, we want our customers to be happy. Like it it will, it's not that simple right now, but at some point it'll, they'll just, you know, walk you up to the little artificial robot face and say, Google <laughs> robot, just make this experience better. And it will say, what do you mean by better? We want them to get their uh, questions answered. Okay. Optimized. Done. done. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it's going to continue to move. Awesome. Towards. That'd be exciting. This, uh, this next one is, is a fun little one uh, from Agora Pulse. That's the tool again, that we recommend that people who have large amounts of social engagement going on use to manage those engagements. Um, it's a great tool. We've got um, builder partners who, who use it and, and really find value out of it. Um, so if you're getting lots of Facebook comments, Instagram uh, comments back and forth, it's, it's not like a Hootsuite. It, it has some functionality that's similar, but it's, it's different. But they have a social media lab. And so they do different tests from time to time. And this one, Andrew, is based around hashtags on Instagram. Ooh, this is a very... <laughs> differing of opinion subject 30 they did a yeah. test on 30 hashtags that's a lot i don't know if i could come up with 30, yeah that, but i guess i should i believe that is the maximum that they allow you to pack into a single post gotcha. i believe okay. i think that's why um they chose that number and so what the study does is say hey the hypothesis is that using 30 hashtags on instagram will result in more likes as compared to eight to ten hashtags okay and drum roll, what do you think? Andrew? More, but I think it's more because of like bots on Instagram. Like, 
mm. following big, you know, cause as far as like the follow, I'll follow you, you follow me back. They'll run those on their accounts and try to get like, Oh, they'll follow certain hashtags and just like da, 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 a bunch of posts all day long. So the more they're just being discovered more be interesting. Very yeah. interesting. So yes, but that was, that would more? be, I, I like your skepticism and cause I'm I agree skeptic. with you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they do mention, so one, uh, the answer is yes. Using 30 hashtags does improve the amount of hearts or likes that you're going to get on average by 135%. So that's significant. Mm-hmm. The other thing that to note is these are organic posts, not ads, yep. is what they tested. And they also found that putting, them, putting those hashtags in the original post also performs significantly better than hiding them or adding them as the first comment on that gotcha. post. Cool. Was, that's also interesting. Yeah, I always thought that was kind of goofy, like kind of sneaky like oh there's a comment i better read the comment and see if it's and oh shoot it's just hashtags nothing interesting yep. yeah but not to say back to my comment about like oh those are just bots like and that still looks good as far as a, a branding perspective like oh mm-hmm. you have 100 likes versus half that would be 50 likes if you used less hashtags 100 still looks better than 50 yep. and might encourage people who follow you or real people to actually like it more compared to if there's less likes. And the last piece here, which is a different hypothesis that they have, is that the uh, reach of those posts in terms of people seeing it on the feed was actually almost the same. To your Hmm. point, bots or they're saying the additional likes that they're getting are from people who are searching that hashtag out later. So they don't, they're not connected to you. They don't know your page. They're just searching that hashtag and then become exposed to you gotcha. at a later point. Hmm. So, which makes sense. It would be. I want more data. I want. I want some. I know. Data. We always, be like, we're never satisfied. Give us more. Yeah, like the time because yeah, new followers, real follow. Because you could kind of look at you know, okay, twenty people liked it. Three of those were real people, or something, mm-hmm. and the other were brand accounts. That yeah. But yeah, it's a good, yep. it's a good, good subject for sure. So what should builders yeah. do if they're on Instagram, you think 30 or 10 or like a balance, like not always having to be super, cause it, it kind of looks self-promotional, like too much sometimes I think mm-hmm. if everything is always this big old block of hashtags. So I think it should be Well, and that, that again goes back to the data thing you just said is it, it doesn't say anything about then the ultimate impact in terms of website traffic, um, or, or any other results. It's just liking the post. Yep. So I still think 30, while scientifically they've proven that 30 is better, it's the right ones. You know, if I did hashtag furniture, I might get some That's more awesome. likes on my really nice uh, owner's suite photo, mm-hmm. but that's probably not necessarily relevant either. No. So I, I think it, I still go back to do the do the hashtags that are the most relevant first, and then just yeah. I, personally, I wouldn't worry um, from an organic standpoint. It's a it's a shorter game anyway in terms of it is just like Facebook organic reach on Instagram, which right now is still pretty darn good, mm-hmm. is going to keep dropping. It will keep dropping. Yes, yeah. they want more of your money. They will up that inventory for sale on Instagram for sure. Yep. And that's it. It was a slower news week. So we're just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with this week's 360 topic, which is the five P's of marketing. Some of you may have heard 
me talk about this before at our summit or uh, other events where I've spoken, but I'm going to sit down with Andrew. We're going to we're going to break him down, and it's going to hopefully segue into a good conversation about what marketing and advertising can do to solve a problem and and what it can't. We'll be right back. All right, let's get into it, Andrew. Let's do it. What can marketing fix and not fix? That'll be the the end goal after going through all these. Oh, maybe yeah. Maybe we title this episode "Marketing Can't Fix Stupid." Can't fix or stupid. Ads can't fix stupid. I don't know. Is ads that too insulting? It's to got to be aggressive. Operations people who choose a terrible location and overpay for the home sites. I'm just yeah. That's that's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I love you guys. I love you all who are listening, but that's sometimes what happens. Okay, so let's back up. Um, at the end of the day, I'll never forget um, Elizabeth from Fisher Homes, who was at NVR as well. Um, she really summed it up, and I'll continue to give her credit as saying, at the end of the day, you just have an attention problem or a conversion problem. Yep. When we talk about these five P's and what marketing or advertising, not marketing, but what advertising can do is solve the attention problem. Uh, and then and to the point that you want to start putting content um, on your own site into the advertising bucket, then it can start to help conversion. But in terms of advertising can do, it's primarily going to affect the attention portion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's let's talk about the five P's of marketing. Yes, those of you who went to school for marketing probably heard that there were four. Or your five, if there are five, won't necessarily match my list exactly. Um, But if you're taking notes and you're not driving, uh, write this down. Or, of course, (laughs) just look at the show notes afterwards. Uh, But you want to know these five Ps in this order. The order is going to be important. It's the order we're going to talk through. Yep. Um, Promotion, price, product, people, and place. Now, I've used this same sheet uh, even when I was back at Heartland, it looked just like this because I would talk to the sales uh, leaders and other managers about it in the same exact way. So as far back as 2010, this is the same sheet of paper uh, minus the do you convert logo that we nice. used to use to talk around this. So Andrew, what, let's just um, let's go back to that solving a community problem mm-hmm. kind of idea. Yeah. And so we have a community that's not selling. We've looked in analytics like we did in episode four. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't heard it. And now we're going to try to solve the problem uh, by addressing it from these five Ps. Sounds like fun. So promotion. How can we create more qualified traffic over a period of time to see if we can create sales? And is that sustainable? I'm just going to talk for a, for a quick bit. And then Andrew, you any clarifying questions that come to your mind that you think... Um, builders listening would, would want to ask. That's, that's, that's your job. Perfect. Promotion. Oftentimes people think that means what are we doing to give stuff away for free or a discount or incentive? That is not what I mean. Promotion, because I need a P I'm simply talking about advertising. So attention. So how can we create more qualified traffic to the website and in to the model home over a period of time to see if we can create sales. And essentially what that means is spend a little bit of money thousand two thousand dollars over a short period of time focused on this one particular problem area 
to give it a shot in the arm of traffic on the website and potentially uh, on site as well, and then see if that creates a sale. If it does, that second question of is that sustainable just becomes a question of, okay, so if we spend $2,000 for Happy Acres and we get one sale, does does that math work? It might be a little bit more than we want to spend, but have we essentially solved the problem because the profitability works out that I can afford to spend $2,000 to get one sale? Does that make sense? That does make sense. Is the I'll go ahead and ask some questions now. Yeah. Is that short time period two weeks important or can, or can I spend that? $1,000 over two months. Yeah. So I think it depends on if you have, if you're more concerned about online um, results in, in terms of that breakdown in, in episode four or on site. If you're getting a lot of on site traffic already and you're online, you're not getting a lot of appointments or, or leads for that community, then I think it can be really short. You know, a week or two is fine because that can stimulate and get enough new blood to your site to see if those conversions start to occur and have those conversations to set appointments. Mm-hmm. When it comes to getting sales and not just more appointments though, you're probably going to need at least 30 to 45 days. Oftentimes when we would do this exercise for a community that hadn't sold anything the previous month, we would plan to come back in 60 days and reevaluate the entire promotion and campaign around that community. Gotcha. Not just from an advertising perspective, but everything, online traffic, on-site traffic, um, what customers were saying, the whole deal. So I think if you're looking for sales results, two weeks is going to be a pretty short period of time. It can happen um, for sure, but I'd give it a little longer than two weeks. Gotcha. Cool. The last bit of clarification there would be, remember, the analysis of the problem community. If you just have no web traffic at all and you just need traffic, again, shorter period of time. If you got stuck on, we have traffic, but no leads, shorter period of time, leads to appointment, two weeks to a month should be good. Appointment to sale, that's that's what the 30 to 60 days is good. Would, would you favor any certain uh, channel, say Facebook versus AdWords and with that budget? Uh, again, it depends on what the analytics are showing us. I would rather get more AdWords traffic because that should be higher qualified further down the funnel. If I'm already getting a decent amount of AdWords traffic, but the total volume is my problem, then I'm going to add in Facebook. So that's a hard one to look at or answer without a specific community in front of me. It Good depends. Questions. Yeah. Yeah. It depends. I think that's all my questions on promotion. Okay. So moving on to price. Price. Are we priced correctly? Are our features matching what the buyers expect? Can we create more value instead of lowering price? Okay, so the key point there is when I say price, uh, owners' eyes get real big and they're like, oh, you just want us to lower our price. I get it. No, that's not, that's not what Andrew just said there. Um, can we create more value instead of lowering the price? Mm-hmm. So what I mean by price is two things. One, competitive analysis. So making sure that compared to existing and new are you priced correctly? This was something brought up in the professional builder article, I think, um, online recently, where someone from a top 20 home builder said, you know, hey, this little slowdown that we're having in the summer months at times uh, feels a little bit more severe this year than other summers in some markets. And what this guy said, Andrew, was, you know, we've basically just been taking price increases every time, you know, lumber gets more, we just roll it through to the customer. Gotcha. We don't absorb any of it. So we just keep raising our prices. And now we're realizing that the market has 
lost just enough steam that we actually have to go back and say like, could we just pass that $10,000 lumber charge onto the customer or do we have to be a little bit more creative in how we handle that? Makes sense. So you got to check the market, make sure you're, you're priced comp- competitively to the other alternatives for the features in your home. The other part of it though, is just, again, shaking up what I call the, the packaging of your total um, home. So it doesn't have to be the price. It can be an extra feature or two that you're getting for that price. So the price can remain the same. The inside math there is just that your cost is always going to be lower than the perceived value or should be lower. So adding extra crown molding in three rooms might cost you, you know, $400 uh, as the builder. Perceived value is if I paid for that as an option price, it might be six grand. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't have to just look at the dollars. You want to look at the total packaging of the home and the community as well. Now, the reason we wanted these in order is because if you adjust the price, then you have to go back up to the promotion P and redo that testing again. Because now that we've changed the price or altered the packaging of how we're talking about and communicating the price, we have to tell people about it. We can't just say, well, we changed it. Let's wait another two weeks or 60 days and see if it gets better. Yep. No, we've got to go back up to the promotion. For pricing, what would be, say, someone newer to the um, home building world? How can they check on price without like going to a meeting and saying, hey, our prices are off? And people mm. are like, you're crazy. You just got here. What are you doing? Yeah. Sit down and, and not talk. Um, what can they do? Good do question. That? One, I will include a link um, to what I call just a quick comp shop tool. Um, this was not a plug. It's not in our show notes, but that's a great question. Andrew. So I'll include a link to a, a simple comp shop form that you can use to fill it out. Um, feel free to download. It's just a Word doc, I think, or Excel. I don't know what I built it in, but you can have that as a start. Um, but honestly, the last time I did this with a builder, I just I used their inventory and I pulled up Zillow and it was way faster and not as precise. Mm-hmm. But very quickly, I was like, hey, you in comparison, and this is a, a smaller builder, um, custom guy. But for the same square footage, same feature set, and the people there sitting with me agreed based upon the, the images and everything else. And they were, they were 35 to 45 grand too high from even being in the consideration zone. Like, oh, wow. And I think that's something else to consider about prices. You should know what your consideration zone is. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Heartland, when we were competing against NVR before they purchased us, we knew that based upon our brand, the fact that we did allow custom changes and NVR didn't, and that we always felt that our locations were better, we knew that our our range was twenty to thirty thousand dollars. If we were twenty to thirty grand more, all day long our sales team felt comfortable that we could take them on and win because we could provide that much value in how we packaged everything up. So you don't have to be an exact match on price. You just have to be in terms of what makes you unique and how valuable your brand is and your culture and your people and your locations, all those things together. Uh, so I think that's an important point too, is you don't have to be the same price. You just have to be in that range. For sure. And this might be a obvious question, but are there, again, this is perfect for someone newer, certain product types of like a starter home, a move of home that might be more sensitive to price where they might need to pay attention to that. I mean, price is, is of course important for everybody, but no, if, this is great. Say 250 versus 280 or say, say 275. That's $25,000 difference. But 
500 versus 525, it's still 25. Am I making any sense there on that? Like, yeah, should I they think be... you're answering your, I think you're answering it as you're doing it. It's, it's, it goes back to that range. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, your range is going to be much tighter, the lower the price point and potentially the impact of your brand. So, you know, going back to the first builder that I started with, no one was choosing to buy a home from us because of our brand period. End of story. They were choosing to buy from us because we built single family homes as low as $38 a square foot. Nice. That's why that's the only <laughs> reason why they bought. And so again, you have to know who you are and, and the, and the target uh, demographic and the buyer profile, like you're saying for different types of products, but it's just that range is going to be tighter. And so to your point, and you're bringing this back to me, uh, 20 to 30 was our single family price mm-hmm. in, in taking on a, a public company. When it came to a townhome, it was 10 to 12. It was much narrower range. Okay. Makes sense. Great question. Cool. Okay, product. Product. Let's talk about that one. Can we make small changes to our product that will make a big impact? Is changing product even an option? Again, these are in order because easiest to hardest to change. So some builders can change product on a dime because they're small and nimble. But for most of you listening, you probably work for a builder where making a significant product change of any kind, other than adding Alexa, that's a that's a joke at all of you who are now smart <laughs> home people because you added an Alexa. Um, Break it in. But changing the product significantly is hard. You got to get drafting involved, purchasing, estimating, talk to the vendors. It's teach them what the changes are, make sure it doesn't get messed up. It's just, it's hard. Oftentimes developing a new floor plan can take several months. And if you prototype it, which you should, but most people don't, even longer. So the first question is, can we make small changes to our product that will make a big impact? Is there something small? And this is really based upon prospect and customer feedback. Mm -hmm. If you build a home as a model, Andrew, and and you, you have to have good faith that you're getting good information back. But if you have a good sales rep in the community who is saying, look, guys, everyone hates the way that this island sticks out in the kitchen. The overhang is too short. You can't actually get your feet under it. It, it looks good at first. But then every time when someone sits down at it, they're like, this is just dumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Something like that. You know, can we make a change to that? Now, is that going to bring in a whole new slew of buyers? I mean, people No, that might be too small of a change. Correct. But this goes back to what else could we add in or take away? If, of course, you could just design a whole new floor plan. That might be lower square footage, cheaper to build, address the market better. But what I'm talking about is adding or taking away included features. So we could add in, back to what I talked about with the packaging on the price, mm-hmm. um, we could add in that three-foot extension and just make it standard in the home. And that could, that could have a significant impact. Or we could take out, we could say, you know what? We're going to take out $10,000 in options to have a lower starting price or included features to have a lower starting price. Um, unfortunately, though, a lot of times product will just come down to we need an entirely new floor plan that actually does address the real market. Back to our joke at the beginning about operations folks making the mistake of buying a piece of property in the wrong location for too much money and putting the wrong product in it because they think that maybe it should work. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you find out that all of a sudden, you know, you thought people were going to want one type of home and they want another, you know, you can keep your head in the sand or you can do the hard work of, but sometimes that second question, the division president, CEO, owner, someone just says, look, 
It doesn't matter. This is not changing. So <laughs> it's not changing. If yep. you're in that scenario, it's not changing. Next, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Which, and again, if you change your product, then you have to take that product to market from a competitive analysis standpoint before you put it on the website. So even before you go designing this brand new floor plan, just conceptually, if we build a new floor plan that was 2,000 square feet instead of 2,200 and made the starting price X, are those bedrooms going to be too small in compared to what other new home builders are doing or what's on the existing home market? You know, check your price and then go out and promote gotcha. it. So, so now we're to people. People, people. One clarifying question on product. Mm -hmm. Would that be more of the initial, like they, go, they uh, go to Happy Acres, the community that has the issue. And they see, you know, right there, they're like homes from the 350s and they see like the quick, you know, there's the floor plans, the elevation, all that stuff. That would be more of mm -hmm. the thing to change versus like, hey, we do have a enclosed rear screen porch or something like that. It seems like maybe price and product kind of blend together as far as creating more value or is product more well, the big, like here's the floor plan, here's the bigger changes. Um, this is... Another good, good question. I think it matters on what you're seeing in the analytics because if people just, okay, so you can't see this in front of you guys, I'm sorry, but if you go on analytics and you go to behavior and site content and all pages and you go to the offending community page yep. and let's say there's, there's happy acres, crappy acres and sad acres <laughs> and they are all in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay? And so when I go to the Columbus, Ohio page, there are three communities on the map, happy, sad, and crappy. And no one's going to sad, yep. uh, but they're going to the other two. Uh, if, if sad is 20 grand more, maybe that's why. So just the, the simpler way to say it is, if people aren't considering the community at all, it often has to do with price uh, being too high for the location okay. Okay. or for the feature set. That's when you would roll out an entirely new product. If in analytics, I saw that Happy Acres is getting a ton of online traffic and it's actually getting leads, but no appointments or sales, that's when I would say, hmm, is there something smaller I could do uh, to make a change? Because people are getting through to a certain point and then there's something that they don't like. Gotcha. We know that promotion's working. We know that price is, for the most part, working. And now it's... At face value, yes. yeah. Next when they step. start digging into it, um, then something else isn't isn't matching up. Gotcha. Okay. People number four. So, is the sales rep not a good fit for this community slash buyer profile, or are there systemic issues with their attitude or skills? This would be a fun one for yeah. marketers to tackle. <laughs> and yeah, well, don't you're not tackling it. All you're doing is presenting facts and letting you know the sales leaders and other folks take it from there. And th that's why. Strategically and I think morally for me personally, people goes forth because I want to make sure that as a marketer, I've tried the other three uh, first before I say, look, I've tried everything else. Now we have to consider that this just isn't a good fit. Maybe the salesperson's burnt out. They need a change. Maybe they just don't like the community themselves. They don't connect well with that buyer profile. Who knows what it is? Yep. That's where you better have a good relationship with the sales leadership if that's not you as well, because that can be a tricky one to broach. Um, and then the moral side is, I just think if you truly believe that salesperson is a good salesperson, they've performed well for you in the past, before you put them, you know, there are some companies, Andrew, where people would be number two, sometimes number one, 
I'm just like, wow. oh, we'll just fire that person and get someone in new. Who cares? Sounds awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a company I'd want to work for, um, but sometimes people put it as one or two. I just put it in fourth because I think you owe it to them to try everything else first. So let's say the marketer has, they, they're like, okay, I'm pretty sure it's the person. What data should they get and present that to whom? Like what data should they build in a report mm-hmm. to build their case so that they're seeing as it's objectively and not like, oh, you just don't like that sales rep. All right. Like, so, you know, again, rep. full disclosure, Andrew doesn't spend as much time in Lasso, right? Nope. And, 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 then, and then the real bottom part of the funnel was sales as I do. But I think it'd still be good for everyone to hear you kind of think. Of, so what would you what would your thought process be in terms of data that you could show that, hey, I'm I'm doing my part. And somewhere, I don't know the exact cause, but this is this is a yeah. gray area or a black hole of data where something should be happening and it's not. And maybe it's the person. So what I would build would be like sessions or user count, like something with the website. Mm-hmm. So I at least can be like, hey, I did. Here's the stuff I do. Like, that's my responsibility. So yep. sessions, leads. Cause that's still kind of me or that mm-hmm. is me you know, leads generated and then appointments mm-hmm. and then sales closings. And then somehow have that just an Excel with the different sales agents and the whole process. So, it, so at least it's, here's the whole picture going on. They convert yep. 5%. Everyone else does 25% or whatever. You, the just, numbers you, just, you just hit the home run there. And the, I answered the home run is okay. in comparison to everyone else on the team. So you can say, hey, now there's more factors than just the community. But but when you start to see that, holy cow, everything works pretty well until we get to the appointment to sale ratio is one third of what it is over here. And again, if you have a good sales leader, they're going to look at it and they might look at it and say, well, that's because this community is a lot tougher. Like we are pushing price. We are whatever. So that brings us back to talking about those other two P's first Mm -hmm. of like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And then we have to say, okay, so then do we want to spend even more on promotion? Because we just know that the conversion rate, it's not the person, it's just that this is a harder community to, to, to sell. Definitely. And I would think the, all these conversations should start with that report anyways. Like if you're yeah, talking about, absolutely. it should always be the full, full funnel. You know, what is that? How many metrics, sessions, leads, appointments, sales? Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have those four numbers for everything. Yeah. Should leave. And sessions or users, either one, um, if we're going to get technical, um, either one is is okay as long as you're consistent. Yep. But, you know, the the appointment to sale ratio is where, and now other other pieces you can weave in would be looking at Lasso and picking out specific stories. So this is where, you know, you you hear me say a lot, tell, tell stories with data. So I would say, hey, there's this gray hole here. If they were like everyone else, it should be performing like this. It's not. I don't really know what's going on. But what I can see is that in Lasso here, if I pull up, you know, Kevin Oakley, that you know, no one's followed up with him in three weeks. You know, he was a hot prospect and there's no activity in the system. Or, hey, you know, Kevin Oakley was, a, was an A three weeks ago. No one's ever updated his rating. Has he come back in? What's going on? Um, I would look at call rail. And see what a missed call rate or answer rate, if they're getting phone calls still to them, would be. Um, so there's other pieces that can help you tell a story of, but again, at the end of the day, this comes down to either the sales leader is going to understand and come along with you 
in trying to work through this. Sometimes you may work with someone who just, they're going to protect everyone on their team no matter what. And they, they may know internally that there are attitudinal or skill-based issues there and they're just going to lock you out. And then your goal is just to get inside that circle of trust so that you guys can work collaboratively. But most, most sales managers will, will give you a kind of the, yep, I know. And they actually really value Andrew getting the data because they may have I can't tell you probably the majority of the time when yeah. I would do this with my three regional sales managers at Heartland, they would come back to me like, this is awesome because you know what? I've really been struggling with Susie because mm-hmm. she's just giving me a lot of attitude. She's really negative, blah, 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 blah. And so now I have some data that I can really manage her around and, and use to, to make sure that I'm not crazy. Like it's not that I just don't like Susie. It's that her behavior and and you know there, there's there's fire probably where there is where there is smoke definitely yeah build some allies yep i like it yep and then the last one is place this is a short one <laughs> <laughs> sorry you cannot change this one yeah it's the last p in the in the traditional marketing mix of the four p's placement or place is is one of those and it's last on the list because you can't change the place um, you can't pick it up and move it. You can't put it in a different school district. It is what it is. The only caveat is that in a brand new community scenario, you get to set the the tone. You decide what the story is about that place. And that's where a lot of the branding, branding, schmanding, you know, feel good type of stuff that we, you know, poo poo a little bit generally um, as as digital marketers, you know, story is important. Mm-hmm. When I say poo-poo, what I mean is if you're spending $200,000 doing uh, charrette meetings to get a magazine photo cutout board of people drinking coffee and walking in the park, that's what, right? Yes. <laughs> it's in balance. I think it needs to be, and you need to have both the yeah, story so, and then the actual fact. Exactly. The story that people really care about. So when you have a new community or even a new phase, you get to to set the tone of how people think and feel about that place. And master plan communities are the perfect example of this is they're often built in places that are further out from where people live now. So they could just put up a page that says, we're way out of the way from where you want to be, but -hmm. we've got good prices. (laughs) That's not what they do. They say, yeah, we're, we're here and we are going to have the best amenities. We're going to create this, traditional neighborhood development where everyone's going to be on their front porch and they're going to, your, your friends and neighbors are going to be the same people. And you're just going to have this magical, you know, they're crafting the story of what that place is. Yeah. And if you've abandoned that entirely, or you don't nurture that, what ends up happening is that the customers and prospects just make up their own story, which unfortunately a lot of times is that community is a ghost town. Oh, that's the place that never sold well, never got momentum. You know, they just do two to three homes a year. I don't think I'd want to, you know, invest my money by building a home there. So it's still important. You just, unless at the beginning you've created a story around it, um, it's usually going to be too late to try to efficiently change that narrative. Can we do anything to help influence better places? This could even be like a second uh, episode of <laughs> somehow using what we do every day, Facebook and AdWords, to find the better locations. 
Um, oh, so you're talking about, oh, I like where you're, you're saying, hey, can can marketing help inform operations of where mm-hmm. we need land? Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, if absolutely. search volume for XYZ city is a third of this location, well, then you're, you'll assume that it's going to be a lot harder to sell. Yes. Yeah. And this brings me back to a point I forgot on the people front, Andrew, which is mm-hmm. get your OSC involved. Oh, because yeah. Because that's the other big um, data point that you can add in. You got to be careful strategically how you do this because you don't want them to be the ones throwing the salespeople under the bus. Oh no! Um, but you're you gotta you gotta be strategic here in how you convey the information. But if you go and ask salesperson, the the online salesperson, hey, how is Susie doing at Happy Acres? You know, I think I've told this story before, but we had a salesperson who the online sales team had to call and motivate to hold an appointment prior to that appointment happening. Like That's it weird. wasn't a traditional handoff. It was. You know, two minutes of the handoff information followed by, okay, get excited. They're coming in. This person is going to be really good. And we talked about this and they really do want a home. Trust me. And just in like talk them up to the point. And if they didn't, that person would not buy a home. If they did, and this is crazy that they, this had to be done, but we just, we knew this particular individual, all they did was sell on financing. They couldn't get people excited about anything other than how much it cost. Unless the online salesperson, you know, coached them up prior to that appointment showing up. That is so strange. <laughs> so the reason I, I'm reminded about that for people is the same thing is true on place. If you go and ask your online salesperson, what areas are people asking about that we currently don't build in? They will tell you very quickly what the areas of interest are. Nice. Um, so in terms of uh, quantitative data versus qualitative. You can get a lot of qualitative from the marketing end of what, what words people are typing in, um, AdWords campaigns. Even we've run before, right, Andrew, Facebook campaigns in places where someone is not mm-hmm. um, to see yep. if there is interest in that area. You can do all that, but what you don't know without doing a survey or using something like Metro Study is how much are they willing to pay in that place? And that's yep. where an operations and land departments and everyone else has to earn their pay and um, get into census data and transfer histories and what's the MLS showing. So there's a lot more granular pieces to it, but for sure, we've talked before too, site search. If you have a site search that allows you to type in an area, then you can you can turn in analytics what, what those searches are being done and mine that data. Yeah, I think that, well. that's a that's a gold mine there. Mm-hmm. Yep. If your site is set up that way to yep. get that data. Exactly. So yeah, because we covered what marketing cannot fix and what needs to be. Yeah. So what, well, let's just, let's clarify that. Oftentimes as a marketer, you will not have the ability to go through all five of these P's. There are companies out there that, then it's not bad or indifferent. You just have to know who you're working for and the culture of that organization. The culture of some organizations is just shut up marketing, go back and run your ads already, you know, leave the pricing and the product and, and people and everything else to us. Mm-hmm. And you just go run the ads and that's, it just is the reality of what it is. Yep. Um, or you just may need to build more street cred to be able to be involved in those conversations. So it, a lot of the questions you had was focused around, Hey, if you're newer, yeah. If, if you're newer to this business, don't walk into someone else's office and say, I think we should yeah. adjust the pricing or change the home designs because they'll look at you like, who are you? And you lower prices, you know $50,000 right? today. Yeah. That's or issue. just, again, product is a very, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. We're simplifying some of these conversations, of course, yeah. um, for now, but. That's one. Here's a product one. Townhomes. 
seem mm-hmm. to be a more common problem product. Um, do you have like Interesting. a, at least I think so. Maybe, maybe they catch my more. I don't know. Um, do you think no. that what's, what's the reason you think you think there's a, a, a core reason for that? Just there's less people that want a townhome, And so that's just uh, the way it is or. No, I think um, this has to do with a macro issue, not a product issue as much as that when land departments identify a piece of ground as being open or available, oftentimes they're trying to shoehorn. Okay, um, well, where you live in Florida, there's an mm-hmm. infill location. Yeah. And that means it's going to be extremely expensive. So a lot, let's yeah. use real round numbers. $10 million for this, you know, 10 acre piece of ground. Oh, yep. Million dollars right. an acre. Mm-hmm. So now from a profitability standpoint, the home builder says, well, I can't build 10 single family homes on that and make what I want to for the risk of acquiring 10 acres. Mm-hmm. So yes. the answer is density. And I'm just going to start putting townhomes where townhomes don't really belong is unfortunately, I think what is affecting a lot of home building companies right now is the land department in some ways, um, the tail wags the dog. And if operations, marketing, and sales aren't telling land ahead of time, we don't want, you know, $800,000 townhomes in this place because we don't think that's going to be a good sustainable sale. Whereas a lot of times land is just, or whoever's in charge of the land is saying, well, this is a great location. I want it. Now, what could I do with it? Gotcha. Well, I have to put townhomes here. And we need land. Like work. You have to have yep. land. So there's this urgency of we always drive of land. let's make it work because we need a new dot on the map, especially when the times are good. Um, you know, it's hard to keep up with that land demand. And so sometimes you start putting things where they don't always that's not uh, across the board, but it's either that or um, you know, luxury apartments now compete so strongly with that entry to middle point even level of townhome finishes. And luxury apartment complexes have boomed all across the country for the last 10 years or so, I feel like, ever since the downturn. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So. Um, and so you've got a lot stronger competition of a lower payment, oftentimes with higher amenities. Your home, you know, you're going to gain equity in it. Um, and the home itself may be, may be a little better, a little nicer, and you own it. But the amenities of the luxury apartment complexes often exceed these, you know, a townhome project that has nothing but an entry monument to it. Yeah, that they're like a hotel, like <laughs> the apartments. A really nice, yeah, a nice hotel, yeah. but I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, hotel. Very nice. Yes. Better. Okay. And maybe it's that there's this, if you have 30 communities, 28 of those are single family, two are townhome. And so comparing just the troubleshooting is difficult. They're, they're just, there's less data for you to look at if that's your makeup. Some of it. I just think traditionally townhomes have been more affordable than they have become. And that's, I remember we did an analytics training class and someone made the comment because I said, you know, typically the most visited community on your site in analytics will be your least expensive, mm-hmm. which I said is often townhomes. And they were like, well, townhomes for me are actually the worst performing. And then we look and, oh, you, well, you start at, you know, 450s. That's so it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> it goes back to what we already talked about. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with the question of the week and um, any extra story time that we want to just make up on the spot. Cool. Let's do it. We'll be right back. 
And we're back with the answers from last week's question of the week, which was, do you use a dedicated design studio as part of your customer experience? Why or why not? And we did a poll this week, which a lot of people participated in. So we'll, we'll probably do a lot more of those. And here are the results. 68% said they do have a dedicated design studio. 18% said that selections are made inside model homes. And 14% was other. Said something else. Said something uh, else, yeah. Mostly was kind of selections is not an integral part of how they sell homes. Or we have kind of both. We have a dedicated space and bits and pieces around in model homes as well. Yep. But what's really interesting to me, Andrew, is if you did this poll, and again, our audience skews towards the more progressive, of course, because um, you probably don't want to listen to us talk about Facebook if you don't have a Facebook account or That's true. You know, think the whole thing's hogwash. But my experience generally is that uh, for sure 10 years ago, the number of people who had a dedicated space would have been Gosh, I would have to think under 15%, 15-20% maybe. Oh wow. That's crazy. Uh, so it's definitely trended and, you know, we're I am a big fan of Jane Marr. I think she does a fantastic job with Design Studio. Um she worked with us at Heartland when we were designing our concept and I know she works with a lot of our builder partners as well. So I think the fact that she's built a process and conferences and everything else around Design Studios has really helped elevate the conversation around that um, as well. And I think also it's just, again, it goes back to the customer experience, but it definitely has grown over time. Um, Let's dive into some of the comments here specifically. Jen Nowak uh, from Raleigh said, we have three in-house design centers in our marketplace, one in our corporate office, and then two in our model homes and finished basements. We find for the best client experience, we like to make all all or as many selections as possible with our in-house designers to oversee the appointments. Uh, absolutely. It, so one, they're giving three different options, which in terms of convenience might be better at times than having one corporate True. location and certainly having an in-house designer, um, mediate fights to, to Chad's point last week of nothing else is a, <laughs> is a great position to have. That's good. And it's a, you lean on them. Like it's a, it's a very helpful thing that is help them make a decision, right? right. Make yeah. a decision. And it, and like, I mean, in a positive way, not like, Hey, settle our fight, but like, Hey, we, right. we want to trust you. You're the expert. Like, this is cool. Like mm-hmm. it's a story. I think they tell later, like, yeah, we had a, we had our own designer and they helped us pick everything. The house doesn't look amazing. Right. Amy Alexander, custom builder. We have some selections in our office, but the majority of decisions are made directly with local design stores or manufacturers. And some people love that. Most people hate it. I, at Heartland, we were a custom, semi-custom builder, but really a custom builder at the end of the day. When I first got there, Andrew, we would our salespeople would tell um, their buyers, just plan on taking two to three days off of work during the process of making your selections. Yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, so and, I'm spending how much and I have to quote to lose how much? Yeah, there's there's a couple of problems here. And Amy, we're not I'm not picking on you at all no, because no, a custom no. builder is what a lot of people want. And so I just trying to, for those of you who, don't understand what this really means is this is okay. Here's the electrician who's going to wire your house, go to their showroom and pick everything out. Here's your budget for landscaping. Go meet the landscaper here. Go meet the cabinet company, go meet. And so you're 
oftentimes the customer on their own is having to book all these individual appointments, track money and selections, make sure paperwork gets around. Some people, again, they want all that ability to make mm-hmm. real, have personal conversations and you know, walk the house and frame it with an electrician and say, I want an extra outlet right here and mark the stud. Some, some people want that. Um, a lot of people don't want to take two or three days off of work. <laughs> we're, all, we're all different. So that's, uh, yeah. Yep. We are all Amy, uh, again, keep doing it if it's working for you. But just my only thought there is just try any way possible as the builder to make that easier. You don't have to change the process entirely, but how can you make that simpler with technology and scheduling and making sure um, people are getting what they need and just some some other things to think about. All right. Um, Brian Hamilton, this is something I'm currently analyzing. We have basic design selections in the models. And it's a bit challenging considering we have five markets across the state, some of which specialize in community sales, some that build exclusively on your own lot. Our home office is also one of the slower markets, which makes it's somewhat counterintuitive to invest in a design center here. Yeah, that's yep. Good luck with that one, Brian. <laughs> just kidding. Um, that is a that's a tough one. Um, I think just having any selection process uh, available again is probably better for most. Um, but yeah, that's a tough spot to be in. That's a tough one. I feel like this. She called Jane Marr and asked her about yeah. what to do. Not that this replaced it, but if you combine the last episode and Vision. As far as mm-hmm. letting people go further along on their own to get better yep. educated, you know, all this whole process is more efficient because they know more. They already know what they are looking for, at least some direction. That's that what I be, like about you, Andrew. You're always yeah. problem solving. Problem and solving. Doing it. If it if it is, you know, I think Envision is roughly around um, a couple hundred dollars a house to to turn that on. But if you consider having to build out five different design spaces across these different markets. Even if you didn't think that you were going to make more money, it still may be more cost effective. Done. Problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> easy. Easy. Elena Money, which was a previous guest we had on. I love having our own studio. We get to control the experience and it's a great place to meet our home buyers during the process. I cannot imagine not having our own. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, A Money, I don't know that you do this, A but money. another side benefit of having a dedicated design studio space is it's a great place to throw parties. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, Marty, <laughs> uh, the owner at Heartland, um, that was always, he's like, well, what if I wanted to throw a big party in here? How could we change the lighting in the design studio to accommodate you know, the type of party that I'd like to throw? <laughs> uh, so it's a great place to hold events um, as well. Nice. Party slash design studio. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) That's fun. All right. This week's question of the week is going to be scary. I'm just going to put that out there. No one's going to want to answer it. The challenge is just be brave, especially if you um, maybe can tell your story of how, how you're able to get involved. But tying in with the 5P conversation is... Are you able to give feedback that is valued on price and product to other departments or leadership at at your builder? Or do you feel like you're completely compartmentalized and simply asked to run ads that drive interest? Um, I think it's it's something a lot of people struggle with. They feel on an island or they're being asked to put lipstick on a pig. If you are part of those conversations, instead of just saying, yes, I am, I would love if some people would share their stories of kind of how you built the street credibility. How long did it take you to be 
you know, a valued part of those discussions. I think that'll be a really um, helpful thing. Uh, so hop over to the Facebook uh, group, Market Proof Marketing, and give an answer and Damn help it. out another human. See how brave you guys are out be there. brave. You could do it. All right, that'll do it for this week on Market Proof Marketing. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. And as always, it's also the best place to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and woo-woo. Woo-woo. That's right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>